stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static. Uh, as you all know, uh, we are going to the Supreme Court for argument on uh, the relentless case versus commerce on the Chevron Doctrine. This month. Yes. Very, very shortly, January 17th. But what the, the court, having ordered our briefing uh, so quickly, uh, our reply brief was just filed on Friday, um, the government put in its opposition to our our uh, our main brief uh, like December 20th December they actually did it early so it was like December 17th December 18th but it was December 20th so um, we've been um, with the over the vacation uh, we were putting together a reply to all of their arguments and I especially want to highlight that the folks at Latham and Watkins really um, uh, I hope they were well uh, uh, gifted by Santa Claus because they have really um, worked quite a bit over the holidays. Well, the, um, the new associate salaries, do look like they're pretty generous. That, so. is, that, is, that is true, <laughs> but it was, quite, it was quite the effort. But yes, they did a great work. And, 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 uh, and we just single out Roman Martinez as the partner right. uh, at Latham, and then Charles Dameron, Michael Clemente, William Siedleck, Alexander Seamers, and then Jacob Shapiro, who uh, was was here at NCLA uh, as a Ginsburg Scalia fellow. Yeah, for and and so, um, but what what's gone on here is the government has, as it normally does, argued a number of things that um, you know they make statements that I don't think are backed up by the record, and one of the things that they say um, that bothers me a little bit. They say that, well, all these issues are very complex. You know, all these administrative law issues are very complex. And if we let uh, judges decide what the law is, they become policymakers, right? And well, that is a direct attack on textualism and originalism, right? Because the whole project that the court's been kind of working on for 40 years. You know, even Kagan said, you know, we're all textualists now. Or you, the, the fact of the matter is, is that they were trying to get out of policy. This was this. They, they felt that this was something that was injuring the court, I think. I yeah. think a lot of them were. And part of it was, of course, the, the, the conservative movement. But, but it, it isn't just that, because there are liberal textualists. They didn't like the criticism that the judges were just doing what they wanted, right? Which probably 1970s was probably the high water mark of, right. uh, of that sort of policymaking. Right. And I don't think um, you don't you, even... Even if they're doing it, they don't like to say they're doing it. So I think that the government's brief saying that if you don't use Chevron, you're making policy is not going to be well received. Well, and I think they're trying to do that because, as I say, the high water mark is in the 1970s. Chevron comes along in 1984. It was favored at the time by some of the folks who were against right. the, the policy making that was going on. And they're, so they're trying to say, well, you know, if by you the courts, of, by the courts, that if you get rid of Chevron, then we're going to be right back in the 1970s. I think that's kind of what they're trying 
to say. But what we've seen in the meantime is that under Chevron, you've created all sorts of incentives for administrative agencies to push the law and not just try to figure out what the meaning of the law is, but what's the meaning of the law that they can get away with saying uh, that it is. And, and that's, uh, that's been very destructive as well. It, it has been. And I, and I think so. I think there's one I don't think in our reply, we say, look, it's not making policy when a judge says what the law is using the normal statutory and constitutional construction. Which it would outside of the administrative context it, as well. It would. And, and one of the things, you know, where, I'm, where Chevron doesn't apply. I will say just also as a factual matter, it's not clear to me with complex multinational contracts now. Like, let's say to build nuclear power plants or to have oil pipelines that go across various countries, and they're almost all contractual, and they go on for pages and pages as long as an, as an administrative record, you know? Yeah. And courts have to define what they are all the time. And so this old argument that administrative um, decision-making by the courts is somehow more complex than commercial decision-making, I'm not sure that's true as a factual matter. I'm not sure it's true either. Toxic torts is another oh, area. Oh, there's another John, one. Right, where very complicated issues of chemistry and and causation and all these sorts of things, and judges are expected to to hash that out. I don't, I don't see why uh, administrative uh, agency decisions are any more complicated than those toxic tort cases. Right, and and so um, I do think I do think that they're. The, the government has relied, in our, in our reply, we're addressing this, they've relied on things that uh, are demonstrably untrue. And we, we did have um, one of the, the things that has struck me is both the government's brief and many of the amicus, amici in support of the government are this idea that the whole world will fall apart if there's not Chevron. There's, yes. I, I call them, I don't think it's in the reply brief, but I, I always call them the um, agency capture briefs. <laughs> if, if an industry feels that the agency is under its thumb, it was like, are you kidding me? These are great decisions. There's one by the FDA, you know, there's one. But um, the agency capture briefs are all like, oh, no, only these guys can do it because, you know, they're pretty confident that they've got the, the whip hand there. But... Um, we know from the brief from judges from the states who've gotten rid of their own state chevrons that the world didn't fall. It's not a terrible thing. And no, no greater um, advocate of the administrative state than Brandeis said that the states were, you know, incubators and, 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 um, and, and places for experimentation on public policy. Well, the experiment's been running for decade now, and it seems to be working. I think you also, I, I don't, think, I'm pretty sure California doesn't have Chevron, and I don't think New York has it either. And they certainly don't have any problem regulating in those states. No, they don't. And, and you know, there may be particular areas where they've got some little bit of deference, but they don't have that wide sweeping kind of deference right. uh, doctrine that, that, uh, that Chevron represents. Um, and so I, I think you're right that that there's a, uh, I'm having problems here, Ruslan, Mr. Producer, uh, the, the we're losing sound in our in our ears here, but we'll we'll press on through. Um, there was a nice piece, John, this week by Oliver Dunford and Allison Soman uh, at the Law and Liberty website. Yeah, uh, very good. Uh, uh, and I, I can't remember the title of it, but it was something like the Chicken Littles of of the Administrative State or something like that. Yeah. They were talking about the Jarkissi case, not about not about this case, but the. Um, uh, but but you're talking about all of these academics who say yeah. that the 
that the sky is falling. Well, that's the point that they were making. Uh, that they were making about what, right. what, what the, the academics that, were saying. There was the a jury trial. They, they, they were mystified. They were absolutely mystified that the idea that a jury finding facts was somehow going to cause all these problems in American law. Right. And I thought it was very amusing. And um, and and I, I thought it was very true that uh, all these academics had put in, wait a minute, we, we can't have juries here. This is the law. You know, it's like no right. fighting in the war room. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and here, too, somehow judges deciding the meaning of laws is going to bring down the government or something. I mean, that it's, it's just it's just a fanciful notion that uh, that uh, and we say this in the in the reply brief that that actually restoring the the capacity of the judici- judiciary to do what the judiciary is supposed to do is not it's not a threat to constitutional government it it is constitutional government and, and I, I say this all the time but what Chevron has done is it has made all of the tripart actors act badly because it's given incentive to Congress to do nothing when there's some controversial issue they just say well. Maybe they'll determine that they have authority that it's been delegated to them, or maybe they won't. But it won't be my problem. I can just say that that was the agency or that was the Congress. So they, so they, they um, don't say what they're really doing sometimes, as they're supposed to do. On the uh, executive side, they will push the envelope. They don't care what the statute says because if they can make any interpretation that the court will slip through as quote unquote reasonable, they've suddenly glommed onto a lot of power to push their political agenda. And then the courts are stepping back and not doing their job. So the whole doctrine causes bad behavior in every part of the separation of powers. Right. But John, the government says that it's been in place for almost 40 years. And so, you know, you have to leave things in place that have been in place, right? This is the old stare decisis doctrine. But but we have some good responses uh, to that as well. And, And, you know, one of the responses is, wait a minute, the, the government doesn't have an interest in, uh, you know, it doesn't have sort of vested interests in, in not uh, reliance interests in the law uh, being a certain way. That's something we think of as private parties having. Likewise, private parties have a due process right to an unbiased adjudicator, and no amount of stare decisis can overcome that sort of constitutional, uh, no amount of stare decisis reliance interests are going to outweigh the constitutional reliance interests that someone has in having an, an unbiased adjudicator. That's right. And as I always say, what stare decisis is usually translated as the, the thing decided. And what was the thing decided? The thing decided is a statement of law, not their method of getting to it. And this is controversial. I mean, not everyone agrees with me on this, but I really don't think that this issue of Chevron really should get the full stare decisis, if any, because it's not the sort of thing. The the way I always phrase it is there's a Supreme Court case from the 20s that says baseball is not, um, baseball is local. It's, It's not subject to antitrust, right? And nobody thinks that case was rightly decided. Nobody. And even Stevens, when he upheld it, he 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 wrote his his opinion in the 70s, like 50 years later. And the whole start of the opinion is how great baseball is and how we all love to go to baseball games. And he has he, he conjures up and all mom of them. And apple yeah. pie. And in fact, somebody who agreed, well, I think it went to the judges that agree with him, didn't join section one. Well, that's that's what this is. The fact of the matter is, is that. Stare decisis is for decisions on the statute, not how the regulations are done or interpreted. 
Well, we'll we'll have to to see uh, what happens there. But uh, again, this is the relentless case oral argument, January seventeenth, and we'll see what the court thinks about some of these arguments. 